So I just looked him square in the eye. I put both feet on the ground, and I said, you ever speak to me like that again, and this meeting will be over. Tracy, welcome to Women of Impact. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited to be here. I've seen your show. I've heard podcasts of yours. <laughs> I've read your book. And the very first thing I want to start with that I think will so resonate with the audience is something that a lot of us struggle with. You are amazing, amazing at standing up for yourself. <laughs> you, Apparently. <laughs> you are so amazing at not letting people push you around at sticking up for yourself if someone's crossed a boundary. And that's exactly where I want to start. And I think the perfect place would be for you to talk about the TED story where in public someone said to you, oh, are you on your period? Yeah, that was a fun one. Um, so I was at actually the little Soho house on the beach. I had a meeting with a developer at the time and I was representing half a billion in real estate of his in Malibu. I came across a particular buyer that was interested in potentially purchasing the entire portfolio. It's a lot of real estate. So I set up a meeting and so I was sitting between them and I just remember the egos going back and forth between these two guys. And at the time I had Erica who was on my team who was my assistant for many, many years and then she was sort of a junior agent. So I brought her along as well. Um, and when we were sitting there discussing it, I just remember getting a little bit irritated because it was just male egos going back and forth about who had more money and, and who knew more about Malibu real estate and what the values were, but not actually talking about the portfolio in and of itself. And so I chimed in and pretty much said, you know, can we get to business here? Like enough with the male egos just bouncing back and forth. I was sitting there like a little like tennis ball with my eyes just looking at each one of them getting more and more bruised as we went on and sort of beating their chest. And I was candidly tired of it. Um, I had actually other meetings that I needed to be at. So at one point I had gotten a little bit testy, I guess you would say with them. And um, he looked at me and said, you know, is there something wrong with you? Are you on your period or something? You seem a little off. And I was so taken aback that I didn't actually respond. I didn't respond the way I wanted to respond. I was sort of having like this out of body experience. Now, on one hand, I was completely humiliated in front of Erica, who is supposed to be looking up to me as like her mentor in business. And I'm sitting between these two men and I was caught so off guard that he would address my period in a business meeting that I didn't even know how to respond. I also knew that there was a lot of money on the line to the tune of $10 million to me. So I sort of excused myself from the table. I went to the bathroom. Because you could feel yourself kind of getting I was escalating. getting so fired up mm. inside. My heart was racing. I had that like intense nervous energy that I knew because I am an extrovert, like my feelings I wear on my sleeve. And I knew if I did not leave the table, I wasn't gonna be able to execute what I felt in a way that was gonna be received. I knew that I wouldn't be able to control my message in a way that would then land. So I just excused myself. I proceeded to pace back. And I mean, if you entered the bathroom at the Soho house that day, and I mean, I was like tearing up, I was fucking pissed, I was, pacing back and forth and I was just trying to gather my thoughts. And after about 10 minutes, I came back down. Um, I sat down at the table 
I let it, let it be for a minute and I just began listening. And of course, by the time I had gotten back to the table, they had started discussing the actual deal in play. And so when I went to respond, I said, are you ready to listen to me or receive what I have to say? And he said, absolutely. And the other guy turned to me and said, you know, I'm really sorry if I offended you. I mean, I was just kidding. I mean, come on, Trace. Like, it was a fucking joke. Like you're being too sensitive. Exactly. So I looked at him and I was very still in the moment because I remembered like there's nothing, when you sit across from someone, and this is just from life experience, and you see them fidgeting or fussing and their eyes are darting, it's like they're not centered. And then in turn, you're having a hard time focusing on what they're trying to say because you're so you're so invested in going, what's happening to them Mm -hmm. right now? They're obviously having some sort of weird experience that I don't really understand. So I just looked him square in the eye. I put both feet on the ground and I said, you ever speak to me like that again and this meeting will be over, but I'm ready to move on if you are. And that was the end of the conversation. And he was like, he was a little nervous. He was taken aback and we finished the meeting about 30 minutes later. I got in the car and I cried all the way home. And that's because, you know, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt. When you experience that kind of shit from a man in a room or any sort of powerful person sitting across from you and you're called out like that, you have an emotional response. But it's about learning how to be effective while being emotional. And that's sort of the piece that is hard even now, today. But I think when you're in the moment trying to navigate How to be effective and emotional at the same time is what sets apart, I think, women from men. It's not about reeling back the emotion. It's about learning how to effectively communicate the emotion, you know? So that was such a huge lesson for me. And people ask me about it all the time because I think everybody's so taken aback that someone would have the balls to say something like that in a business meeting, you know? That decision that when you're feeling that emotion, when the overwhelm starts coming in, when maybe you're, you know, you're offended, you're upset, whatever, it's very hard to say, walk away right now because it won't serve you. I think in the moment I was so overtaken by emotion that I knew that if I stayed there, there was potential for a tear to come streaming mm-hmm, down my mm-hmm, cheek. Mm-hmm. And I did not want him to feel sorry for me. I did not want, I, that was not what, how I wanted to be effective. And that's not how I wanted to be perceived. I'm an emotional creature. I am also incredibly tough. So people perceive me as being a tough boss female. That does not mean that that does not come with mm-hmm. emotionality. It does, it comes with humility. It comes with all sorts of different personality traits that I think a lot of women have that in business we try to conceal. So in that moment I knew I was gonna like not be effective and so I had to remove myself and I candidly it was almost in tears and I was humiliated. So taking a minute, excusing myself before I let my, like there could have been venom. Immediately my reaction would have been I don't know who the bleep you think you bleeping are. You can totally swear here. (laughs) I don't know who the fuck you think you are and why you think you can fucking talk to me that way, but I'm going to assure you of one thing, you ever do it again and I will smack you silly. And that's, but that's the thing. Like, I so would have wanted to say that in that moment. I didn't have 
the energy or the power I was overcome by emotion mm -hmm. and the stakes were so high. And I think we're always, we're always, you know, particularly when you're an entrepreneur or a woman, a woman in business or trying to be successful and you're coming up the ladder, you're going to be presented with that almost every day of your life. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be moments where you might be able to react in the moment and be effective. And then there's moments where you're overtaken and it's in that moment you have to make a decision. I need to get I need to get a handle on how I'm feeling. Am I humiliated? Am I um, like am I upset? Am I angry? And you know, I was able to sort of take five minutes in the bathroom and figure out where I was with it, so that I could get a hold of myself and then come back down and 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 be more effective in communicating that that wasn't okay with me. But not from a place of insecurity, mm. not from a place of. Uh, feeling sabotaged in the meeting and certainly not from a place of being a weak female. Um, I won't be spoken to that way. That's so powerful. Oh my God, that's so powerful. Thank you. Um, having the, obviously the, gu the guts to say that out loud, like just even, even the way you took us through it is so beautiful because I'm all about process. Like I even said, like I would have wanted, I'm a bit of a hothead myself. So <laughs> I, literally I would have wanted to stand up and be like, don't you dare talk to me like that. And the thing that I have realized as I enter, have entered business is that that doesn't serve you. Like in those moments, if someone had said that, I would have felt like oh, I've got every right to tell him where to go. Okay, but what's my goal? Right. Like if my goal is to put him in his place and not do the business deal, then go ahead, tell him exactly what you think. And when you leave, you feel good about yourself that you said that and you knew that you weren't gonna get towards your goal. But to me, it's like, well, if you're trying to make this deal, like you said, of course, and you don't necessarily want people to dismiss you as emotional. No, of course you don't. And I think that's, that's the part of, I think, activating and, and what I've been working on as of late is sort of activating that feminine side of myself because we're taught mm -hmm. as women to put that away in mm -hmm. business, right? Like you have to, in order to be effective, someone commented on my Instagram today about an outfit that I wore that was too sexy. And that, you know, if I want, if this is, and I quote, if you want to be treated equally, perhaps you should consider dressing more appropriately. I almost flew through the roof. These are just simple examples of, you know, I think, and that was from a woman, believe it or not. Um, There's simple mm -hmm. examples of sort of not understanding the power that we have as females how we dress, how we carry ourselves, how we speak, and sort of the masculine versus the feminine. And so what I've been embracing lately, and I actually take this you know, from younger women um, today who sort of, I think, are more empowered with their bodies. Mm. They are, they're less about shame. Um, and so for me, that's something that I've been trying to teach myself, that I should be able to, to wear something that makes me feel sexy and confident and strong, but also be equally talented, still a boss and effective in business. And that masculine feminine piece is something that I think as women, we don't use enough. Mm -hmm. And if we can just take that feminine side and be more effective with our intuition and our gut and the things that come to us naturally that we are sort of taught to kind of like put away, then I think we'll be, <laughs> we'll take over the world. 
I'm so glad you brought up the gut and intuition because it's so powerful. It's something that I think, like you said, we just don't um, pay attention to or ignore. And you have an amazing story about how your gut was telling you something wasn't right, something wasn't right, and you had this deal and you put these, your client and um, a buyer together, and you're like, everything was telling me it wasn't right. He was showing me these images of like his bank account that had like $135 million in oh. it. Um, but you, you had this gut feeling and you didn't freaking listen to it. And then if you don't mind sharing what happened, and then in hindsight, if you had allowed your gut to amplify that you may not have gotten into that situation? I was a lot younger at the time that I met this particular client and we crossed each other's paths twice. First, it was when I had just gotten into the industry. I was maybe three years in and he knew me through mutual friends of ours and but very peripherally to the point where I didn't really remember him. And he introduced himself and, you know, was a great storyteller and very, I mean, if you fact checked things, it was, it was phenomenal. He was a brilliant, brilliant man, is a brilliant man. I mean, most crazy people are somewhat brilliant, but he had convinced me that he um, wanted to go looking for $20 million houses. Now, 20 years ago, $20 million in Malibu got you a pretty sick house. So I'm, 23 years old or 24 years old and I'm taking this guy out to look at multi-million dollar houses and I'm beside myself this is going to be a huge deal for me I'm, I'm getting this on my own um, I spent months he never pulled the trigger on anything disappeared and then came back about five years ago same story um, I'm just older and wiser so we started looking again and I started seeing those little red flags come up. But every, like even though my gut and my instinct said something is off, every time I would try to follow up or follow through with some sort of looking into something, it was always accurate. So I didn't have anything to really lay down. So even then I stayed in it, even though my gut was telling me everything about this was off. Um, the last straw for me was I was doing um, a fundraiser for a, my best friend who had two daughters who um, were born with a very, very rare disease. And we were raising money with them and I was in a room full of men at CAA and we were doing a call-a-thon and he called and I said, I can't talk to you right now. I'm busy. I'm at CAA doing this call-a-thon and he was amazed that I was in this room full, who was in there? He wanted to know who was in there, how, and then how much did they donate? So I said, you know, guys, what's our biggest donation so far? And someone said 100,000. So he's like, I wanna do it 10 times that. And he made a point of, you know, going that extra mile and to make a very long story short, the, the money never arrived. Um, he worked with the foundation and I, I said, that's it. And I called him up and I said, I never wanna speak to you again. So, um, you know, I think a lot of times when money gets in the way um, and you're looking to the, the finish line in mm -hmm. business and you're like, I have an opportunity here, what if I'm wrong? What if my gut is wrong? In the 22 years I've been doing this, looking back, I don't think my gut's ever been wrong, <laughs> ever. Like every time I've had a bad feeling about something whether it happened months later, days later or years mm -hmm. later, it's come full circle and I've 
I, I felt that I was right. I just wish even now that I could honor that a little bit more in the moment and not let the idea and the competitive nature in business that I just innately have to get in the way. God, thank you for taking us through that because the thing that I find a lot is whether it's business or relationships or anything like that, people are like, oh, I just kind of saw the signs and I was feeling like, you know, they weren't the right one or this business still wasn't the right one or this job. And it's like, but I was so excited, right? You have the dream and the goal of what it's going to lead you to. And it sometimes puts blinders on you to... Um, to just be tunnel focused on the goal and not be paying attention to all these signs. So now in hindsight, because I love what you said, I think everything becomes a growth. Even intuition, I think it needs to be trained. It's like a skill. 100%. I, I say that my like friends all the time and to my fans that have read the book that I wrote about it, like this is exercise. It's like mm -hmm. anything in order to like create that, particularly because we've been putting it away for so mm -hmm. long. I mean, historically, and I say this all the time, you know, hunter-gatherers are the men and we're the nurturers. We stay at home and we just, you know, take care of things. The truth is our gut has always been there, but we, we haven't been taught to use it properly. Yeah. And so it's like creating a new habit. You have to consistently do it every single day for a period of time. And at, you'll find that as you sort of exercise it, even in the smallest ways, raising your hand in a business meeting full of 100 people mm. or, you know, disagreeing with a friend about a particular in, you know, issue that you might be having or saying no to a dinner that you just simply don't want to go to. Like those are the little things that you need to sort of think about. And once you start there and then you can grow and, and challenge yourself more and more every day to just take that little step further. Girl, okay, you're so freaking badass. I want to keep talking about this. You're so good at confronting people. And um, I really want to talk about this because you do it in the most gracious, respectful, but no bullshit, don't mess with me way. And I respect it so much that I, um, in your book, you actually have a, um, a confrontation blueprint, which I think I'd love to just go step by step because I get in my head a lot. I get emotional. I feel a certain way. I, you know, um, some, sometimes want to act on emotion. And the only way I can get out of it is having a step-by-step -step guide. So you actually first start with lead with a question. Yeah. Um, I think when you open up a dialogue with somebody, you don't want to necessarily begin with putting them on the defensive. So by asking them a question that is both sort of leading without being confrontational, you're almost, if you can do it correctly, then you're gonna allow them to put themselves in a confrontation that they didn't even know was happening. Mm -hmm. You want them to be the person that engages. So you have to ask the pressing question that's gonna put them in the universe to where then that confrontation can happen. If you lead with, you did this, you're putting them immediately on the defensive. So sometimes asking why why did you feel the need to not include me on the email when you were talking to a client about my project? You know, curious. Yeah. I love that so much. And the power of a question, I've only somewhat learned like over the last year or two years. It's so powerful. It really scares people. Especially when someone's passive aggressive. Oh, it's my favorite. It's my favorite too. When they're passive aggressive. <laughs> yes. You're, you're putting them in a boat because everybody loves to, loves to be able to flip the, the story, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And I've been in that situation so many times where I'm like, oh my God, 
you're totally flipping the script on me right now, and I'm see I'm watching this go down, going, this is such horseshit. It, when you ask the question, oftentimes they'll be so nervous and taken aback by the question that you're asking them that they won't. They'll be stumbling over themselves, and more often than not, they'll make a mistake. And when they make a mistake, that's when you go in. I love it. Yeah, I used to get so upset when someone was like blatantly lying to me or trying to be super passive aggressive. You know, like that whole undertone thing. Mm. And it would re it would really tear me apart afterwards. And I was like, well, this doesn't work. This strategy is bad. Like I just keep replaying it in my head, and then I'm holding it kind of against them. But then it's like if you bring it up later, they're like, what do you even mean? And so I was like, what would be the ideal situation? And then now it's like when someone's passive aggressive, I'm like, I'm sorry, maybe I'm misreading you, <laughs> but I'm actually interpreting what you're saying as like you actually hate this. Is that accurate? You know, instead of being like, oh, no, no, I don't hate it. It's like, oh, okay, just because your tone actually yeah. gave it across that you did. Right. So I just wanted to clarify. Like, I'm, I'm, uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. like you said, it just, it, and it's not to be mean. It's just to say, hang on a minute, this isn't going to fly with me. But also by doing that, what you just did and the example that you just created, then you take it home, right? And so at the end of a confrontation, I always like to put it in writing. And, you know, it was interesting today when we had that dialogue mm -hmm. and, you know, I felt a certain way. But when I asked you the question, you sort of corrected how you felt. And, and then you have to, like, particularly in business, mm -hmm. you want to protect yourself from it, if it's shifting into perception versus reality yeah because and write it writing this stuff down right after this confrontation happens what it's fresh in your head is a very good thing to do not only are you training yourself to sort of remind yourself that how effective it was in the path that you took but you're also remembering it you're putting it in writing and it's another way for you to sort of I guess, take in that information mm -hmm. and utilize it to your benefit. I love that. And it's, um, it's kind of like a, um, what is it, like a guide. So that the next time it happens, you can look back at 100%. like how, what happened in the last situation and how you handled it. And then you can kind of improve from there. Because again, being a woman and being, you know, emotional about it is 100% fine. Not accessing it and sitting with it and going, what, this is what just happened. I'm experiencing this exactly as it, as it was. I'm also writing it down so that it actually resonates with you so that you can utilize it again because the more uh, you'll be more effective by sort of re-experiencing mm. it a second time by writing it down. Mm, so true. Um, okay, so we ask the question, you give them space to explain, you end the conversation. Mm -hmm. How important is that one? You definitely want to be the person with the last word. Let's call space, <laughs> don't we? I mean... I don't know. Um, I think it's important to, at, at a certain point, when you've gotten the information that you need, people tend to drabble on, and they drabble on when they know they're not effective. Mm. I have to explain it to you 85 different kinds mm. of ways because clearly it wasn't landing the way that I wanted it to land the first time. So at a certain point, when you've gotten what you've needed out of the conversation, then you can say, you know, I think the conversation's over. I, I, I feel good about... Um, how we've discussed it. I know where you where you are with it. I'm pretty clear. We've been talking about it for 20 minutes. Thanks for your time. I'm moving on. I freaking love that. You know? And then it becomes email. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is move on. Yeah. For Brian, who was the person in my story that I talk about in the book, uh, I walked in a couple of days later to a meeting for this particular project. And I was like, hey, how are you? 
And it wasn't fake. Mm. I really, truly made a decision to move on from it. I said my piece. I said, don't do it again. And I put it in writing. And then I moved on from it. Because if I carried that negativity mm -hmm. into the office or into the sales office, it was going to affect our relationship and how we were going to you know, move forward from it. So I think that threw him. I don't think he expected that. I think he expected me to continue to you know, have an edge or a chip on my shoulder mm -hmm. or whatever, and I had none of it. And I think what's so beautiful about everything you just said is the moving on part, I think, can only come because you've done all those other steps. 100%. Because if you've you, said your thoughts. Right. If you don't resolve it, in your own in your in your own mind in your heart and then and then spit it out and then put it in writing mm -hmm. then you're just carrying it with you and that's why it's so hard for us to move on from certain things i told you when i came in before we jumped on camera that i i had like an experience you know even with the show airing mm -hmm. last night i'm still processing it right now and i have every intention of confronting it but until I do, and that's why now I'm so trained to immediately get in it, because I don't want to carry that with mm. me. It affects my day. It affects how I interact with you. It affects how I run my business. And so the beautiful thing about all the steps is once you get accustomed to them, then the confrontations and the uncomfortable nature and that discomfort becomes shorter, mm. right? Like if you can achieve it and you can get through it, then it's 10 minutes instead of four days, yes. right? Like, and we all wanna put that away because I wanna lay my head on the pillow at night and not be worrying about what someone said to me or you know, disrespected me or whatever. Yeah, God, that spinning thoughts at Ugh, night when you're worst. trying to freaking sleep and you just beat yourself up over, did I stand up for myself? Like, did, did I imagine that? Should I have said something? Right. Yeah. Right. I totally agree. Um, another thing I freaking love about you, girl, is you command a freaking room. Like, uh, so do you. <laughs> <laughs> but girl, seriously, so even just hearing your stories, hearing how you show up, this is another thing that I think is very hard for a lot of females to do, especially in a room with men, where uh, let's just even say that other people are way more experienced than you. And so that negative thought of like, oh my God, should I be here? Can I speak up? Um, when you're in a room, especially with other alphas, it does become a, how do I handle this situation? Do I, you know, can I stand up for myself? Can I speak up? And I love how you just break everything down. You're so freaking tactical. Um, so there's actually one situation that you did with a cigar guy where you've got a meeting with this guy who's a cigar. <laughs> He's got like 20 million or $200 million plot of land or something mm -hmm. crazy like that. Mm -hmm. And all the legalities were changing. And so the time was so very particular that this meeting had to be done and you had to make decisions. Other, I mean, it was a huge deal. And your cigar guy comes in and he derails the conversation completely. Now, this is your client. There were many situations where, at least for me, once upon a time entering the business world, I would have frozen. You didn't freaking do that. You had such a clear strategy of how to pivot him and control the room and bring him back around yeah. with two very, very specific skills. Like, break that down for me. Mm. Because again, I would have once upon a time been the person that would have left the meeting, not, not have gotten the deal, beating myself up, sure. that I didn't speak up and that I let the deal go because I wasn't confident enough to speak up. It's not even about the scar guy speaking up, right? It's about the fact that I didn't handle my shit when I was in the room. You know, I think the first thing you have to consider is what kind of personality type are you dealing with? And, and that requires listening. 
Um, and I think you should know that before going into any meeting and do your homework. I mean, there's several different layers to this, right? This was a client of mine. Um, I very quickly figured out he was a creative and his energy was incredibly frenetic. And the, the point of this meeting was we were talking about what are the best suited um, layouts and rooms for this massive home that was ultimately gonna be a $150 million home when it was done. And so that's what we were trying to sort out. And when he got up, he was standing in front of the room. We've been off topic for 30 minutes. And I thought, I've gotta get up. I gotta get up, I gotta go stand next to him. And I started talking and immediately talking to him and the rest of the room. And it shifted the dynamic. And again, I posed a question and I said, you know, let's talk about what your ultimate goal is. Do you wanna sell this house or do you wanna live in it? Do you wanna make money or do you wanna spend money? And he said, I wanna make money. And I said, okay. And that's how I shifted the conversation. But I think by sort of coming up to his energy level, I had to be excited. I had to be pumped. But I also had to stand across from him and deliver that same kind of energy. And that's what shifted that conversation. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal. Like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa 
all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I love that so much. Like, there's so many things in that. It may seem simple, and maybe, like, you don't think of that as maybe a big deal. It is so powerful. Like, everything you just broke out, because that goes to give me the tactics and what I have to do in that moment, right? Even if it's a big personality and, you know, very charismatic, sometimes it's very hard to not even compete with, but just to, like, get their attention. Sure. And how you handle that, the fact that you got up, stood next to him, like these little things are so freaking powerful. And the fact that you gave him time where he felt hurt. Yeah. I love that. And then you focused on the goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I think, you know, when you sort of break down the different personality types or the mood that people mm. are in, you know, whether they're apathetic that day because of something they experienced or happened, some, something happened right before they walk into the room to meet you and it's thrown their game off. You have to find a way to connect on some level so that they're hearing you and that you're making that connection. And that, so I break down that a lot in my book. Figuring out what someone's personality type is is one thing. That we can do with research online mm. if we've never met them before and ask around about them and so on and so forth. But once you're in front of them, you don't know what kind of mood they're going to be in. So figuring that piece out is going to be the way through because not every day is everybody sunshiny and, you know, feeling 100% themselves. We're all victims of experience. So um, I think that's honestly more important than a personality. Figuring out someone's mood, being able mm. to identify it and then matching it. That's amazing. Can we go through a couple of the moods? Yeah, so apathetic um, is the worst. <laughs> Let's start there. Um, you know when you walk into a room and you're sitting across from someone or you're at a business lunch and it's just, there's just zero interest. There's, they're disconnected from you. They're disconnected from being there. Uh, they're on the phone. Their eyes are moving mm. around the room. Um, they just simply don't care. That is probably the hardest person to relate to or bring back into like so that you're present um i've found that i've had to do certain things like reschedule oh interesting um, i will ask them questions about themselves if i think i can bring them back i always lead with asking people love to talk about themselves <laughs> okay so I'll ask them about something about their kids or something about the job or the promotion that they just got. Or I'll be like, that watch is incredible. Where did you get that? There's got to be a story behind that. Whatever it is to get them to sort of have to look at you and talk to you about something other than what you, you might be focused on at the time is a great way to sort of engage or try to reenact someone who's apathetic. If you can't and you're giving it a shot and they're still not there, then scrap it and say, you know what? I feel like we need to have another meeting. I want to get some numbers together for you. I think that that might be something that you might react better to. And I think that um, I'd love to see you in my office next week. Um, you always want to try to put the meetings with apathetic type personalities or moods. You want them in your space. 
interesting. Not in their own space. Huh. Because when you're in your own space, you're distracted by your assistant. You're distracted by your emails. You're distract. You want to be away from the computer. You want to be in a place where they can't be distracted. Oftentimes, an apathetic person, you don't want to take to lunch. You need them in a room mm -hmm. where they're not going to be distracted and they have no other choice but to listen. So I loved how you broke that down. That's so powerful because again, I go to, I can absolutely use that in my business, but also I can use it in relationships and friendships and like knowing that if I need someone's attention, not to go out to a restaurant, bring them into your space. Um, what about someone that's super agitated? What do you do when you're trying to like connect <laughs> with them? <laughs> I use humor a lot. I, you know, like for me, when you have someone that's agitated, sometimes just simply drawing it. Like I have a, a friend, Corey, who I've been in business with for a long time, known him 20 plus years. And he is the king of like an uncomfortable moment in a meeting when you can tell that someone's completely irritated and just simply doesn't want to be there um, or distracted for that reason. He has a way of bringing humor into it that somehow it deflates mm -hmm. people. Whatever mood you're in, but particularly someone who's agitated, when you poke fun at it and, and really just kind of say what's on your mind, like I'll call someone out, it sounds like you're having a rough day today or <laughs> you seem excited to see me, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> I think there's ways to sort of take people out of their element where you're like, they clearly like do not want to be here. And I'll be like, you know, should we introduce alcohol into this equation? <laughs> yeah. Like you, like you've had a rough day, so you know whatever it is. But I find that sometimes humor will take someone out of that moment for a second. If you catch even just a giggle from it, or just like even just a side eye where they're like, oh, well, clearly they're picking up on my, you know, that I'm agitated. Um, you'll often pull them out of it. I love that. Humor is such a great disruptor. Such a great, the ultimate disruptor. I remember, like, this story always stuck with me, and this was the thing that made me realize humor was, like, the antidote to so much of our, my own, like, um, negative thoughts or, like, any situation. My husband and I are getting this huge freaking mile on the way to the movies, right? Who knows what it was even about, right? It was something ridiculous. And we're, like, fighting and arguing, and as we're on, this is in England, on the underground on the way to the, the movie, and so we're just mad at each other. You get to the movies, you know, when you, like, then pretend, and you're like, hi, two tickets for two, you know, and then you're, like, eyeing them afterwards. <laughs> so we sit down, and we're just mad at each other, and we happen to be there to watch Rush Hour 2. By the end of it, we spend, like, an hour and a half giggling and laughing our asses off. Right. And by the time we came out of the movie, we completely forgot about what we were even arguing about. The emotion had fled. And so that was the moment where I was like, humor, laughing, smiling. Yeah. It really can be a complete, like, antidote to any, like... Well, and poking fun at yourself. Like, the self-deprecating humor sometimes is, like, when you're in a room full of people, particularly in larger environments... People love when you bag on yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, it makes every... And, you know, we all know, like, I can literally rip on myself all day long. I know what my insecurities are. I'm clear on, like, a lot of things about myself. I've done a lot of work. Been in therapy a long time. But there's, there's ways to connect the dots with people like that. And usually by using, like, self-deprecating humor... Um, you know, things like even like you were talking about watching a movie that is hysteric, it really can deflate that anger in a way that it's almost chemical. Mm -hmm. um, and there's science behind it. So it, it works. How on earth then do you um, do self-deprecation without it affecting your confidence or ego? If you can't poke fun at yourself, 
then you're more insecure than you should be. Um, I think by having the ability to poke fun at yourself, it actually speaks to your insecurity being at a level that's reasonable, right? Mm. And I think when you take yourself too seriously, mm. it sort of breeds even more insecurity mm. because if you can't step outside of yourself for one minute and laugh or enjoy sort of someone else poking fun at you, um, there's a problem with that, you know? Um, and I think that's the part where it should never, by poking fun at yourself, it should never breed more insecurity. Mm. It breeds self-awareness, which I think is important. Um, you should know what your weaknesses are. You should be aware of them. Tap it, tap it. By poking fun at your own insecurities and being aware of them, it's sort of like a, an exercise in sort of being aware of your insecurities and thereby making you less insecure, if that makes sense. A hundred percent, and I actually okay. love that you said that, but where I was gonna go with that is, I think to me that was an identifier of an insecurity, right? So it's like, sure. well, I love to laugh, I love to joke, I'm like teasing myself, I tease my husband, I tease everyone. But then sometimes if someone teases me about something very specific and it hurts my feelings, it becomes a big spotlight for me, which sure. I have now turned into something beautiful, right? Oh, it's spotlighting an insecurity or weakness that I've tried to ignore. And now it's actually a great thing to go, oh, okay, this, <laughs> this self-deprecation actually upset me. It upset me because I, it's an insecurity. It's an insecurity that I haven't checked yet. And now, thank you, now I've identified it. Right. It's an, it, it, it then becomes more of an awareness right. and, and your ability to sort, and that's where the homework starts, right? Mm -hmm. as, as a female, and I think, you know, as early as your teenage years, you should start having and acknowledging where you feel less than and why and doing that work. And well into your 20s, you should have a pretty good awareness mm. of what your weaknesses are and where your insecurities lie. And, you know, obviously doing the work on those insecurities and, and the work on, you know, learning how to be confident in spite of the things that you feel bad about. Um, and then I think you finally get to a place where you're 46 and you just give zero fucks, <laughs> you know? And then you can poke fun at yourself. And there's such freedom in that. Yeah. Like there, there really truly is. Um, and I do it all the time because it's pretty easy to do. The funny thing is, and here's the thing, and I love that you just said that because I do it to myself too. And I don't know if, like, I don't know if I have any other advice apart from age, because like you, when I was young, I was way more insecure. I was way more sensitive to things. So I don't think I would have been able to poke fun at myself back then. But now it's like, I, I've experienced life enough that it was like, ah, yeah, so you fucked up, who gives a shit, right? right. Like, like, ha ha, wasn't that funny? You know, I did a TEDx talk and I totally messed up on stage where I said like, my dad gave birth to my grandmother. <laughs> It was my first speaking gig and girl, I was like, oh my God. And I even said to myself before I got on stage, because I was so petrified, so right. I get on stage and I'm like, what happens when you fuck up? Like you have to have a game plan, Lisa, because the chances are you're gonna screw up because you've been on Very stage true. before. Right, just allow myself the, the grace to fall. And so having allowed myself the grace to fall, I still need a game plan to get back up. Sure. And so I was like, just laugh at yourself. That literally was my game plan. Whatever happens, just laugh. Because everybody will look at you and they'll be like, is she tense? Oh my God, is she nervous? And then you'll just feel it from them, right? Totally. Like if you're empathetic, you'll just feel that. Totally. And so I said, it doesn't matter how much you mess up, laugh. So I was on stage, I say this, and I was like, well, that would be awkward. <laughs> like, well, that would be funny. You know, and I just laughed it off. And it totally changed the way I felt. It totally changed the audience. And so when I heard you say that about the different types of human, how you use human in yeah. different situations, 
I actually was like, that's such an amazing, beautiful superpower that we don't use enough. Right. And I think it's so, it just reminded me of something. My friend since high school, his name is Joey, fabulous gay man, lives on the East Coast. And he makes fun of me all the time. He's like, I've never met someone that laughs more at their own jokes than you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the truth is, like, you know, when I have, when I'm being funny or I'm being humorous in an awkward situation, I can't help but laugh. And it's not necessarily that I think I'm funny. I just think sometimes situations are funny. But I also think it, it showcases that you just don't take yourself too seriously. And that mm. in and of mm. itself is a connector. Like business, life, personal relationships is all about connection. And if you have this sort of steel great around you where you are not vulnerable, you don't take chances, you're not willing to put yourself out there in, the, in a humorous situation because you're scared maybe no one laughs. Mm -hmm. Those things sort of are preventing you from the connection happening. Um, and I believe that that sort of vulnerability and taking those kinds of risks and chances are what make people want to be around you. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, I believe that people want to be around people that they either admire or they're similar to or they mm. want to be like, right? So I think by showcasing those types of qualities, um, if you don't have them, you wanna be around them. And so therefore you wanna connect and you wanna be open to that person. Mm. And that's what drives connection. God, I love how you just broke that down. And people do perceive that as confidence. And it's interesting because I started doing it because I didn't have the confidence. Yeah. Like I started laughing and using humor because I didn't have the confidence. Right. And I was so worried that I would freaking freeze and not work towards my goals because I'm so freaking goal oriented. So it's like, okay, does this serve the goal? Yes or no. Right. And so I had to do it in order to keep going on my goal. And yet it was perceived from the outside as being confident, but actually it was the opposite. That's really interesting because I think that by you even telling me the story, like I would have laughed out loud if I was in the audience because <laughs> I also think that that makes people relate to you. Mm. You then become accessible to them, like someone that they connect to on stage, which is why Brene Brown is so fucking powerful. Oh, she's so good. Because she is humorous and she makes those connections to people on stage and she's flawed and people relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, I had a guest on, she's one of my very good friends, um, Vanessa Van Edwards, and she's a body specialist. Like she looks at body language and assesses and really helps people in businesses. And she broke down like a TEDx talk and, a, um, and job interviews. And it turns out that everyone's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, no one's perfect, right? We've, right? we've said that so many times. No one's perfect. So when you meet someone for the first time, you know they're not perfect, and you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're like, What's up? what about them isn't perfect? Now, if you do it right at the beginning of, let's say, an hour interview, now you're actually perceived to be way more trustful because you're not trying to hide the imperfection right. of you at the beginning. Now, here's the crazy thing. You do it right at the end, they have the opposite effect, and they think now they cannot distrust you at all because you tried to hide it for as long as humanly possible. That's really interesting. So now I just say to myself, just fuck up in the first two minutes. <laughs> You'll win them over. Yeah. No, but it's, it makes sense to me. I mean, it seems logical. But yet, even if it seems logical, we are so fearful of messing up. I know. Yeah. I fucked up so much in my <laughs> life that I'm just comfortable with it now. I mean, listen, I am the person that might be overly emotional. I might not be able to control myself in that moment. I'm better than I was. Mm -hmm. And that's why I talk about it in the book. But there's no, you know, again, there's no such thing as the, perf the perfect sort of response. So, but I do think that that's what makes people relatable. 
That's what is attractive. That's what makes someone like a like a Kim Kardashian who can, you know, screw her boyfriend on camera, get divorced 65 times, you know, who knows what happens in her personal life. People love her because she's vulnerable and flawed mm -hmm. and they relate to that. And that's what I think, you know, particularly today in media and on television, that vulnerability piece is so crucial to connecting. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that, that's so important. Um, one other thing that I really want to freaking touch upon because you cannot ignore it, your fashion sense. Yeah. Girl, you're so on point. And I'm obsessed because I, when I was reading Parson and hearing you talk about how you dress and how you dress for like the room, but also had to feel like I'm so with you. And what I actually also love is that you break it down. So when you want to dress for an edge, you say you have to know the who, the where, the what, and then always have a basic. Yeah. So can you actually talk me through that and then why you found it so powerful? I mean, listen, it's, it's not that complicated, um, but I think it's like a good, it's, it's a good piece, right, in the toolbox. And so when I know I'm gonna meet with someone new for the first time that I've never met before, I do my diligence on the person and try and find out as much as I can about them as a human. And I'll try to attempt to dress accordingly. If I'm like totally blind on it, then I wear whatever the hell I want because again, I'm 46 and I've sort of sorted it out, right? <laughs> like I know what I feel good in and as long as I feel good, then that's gonna make everybody else around me feel comfortable. Um, that was really strong, by the way. That was such a mic drop moment because people don't necessarily do that. Like dress to make yourself feel a certain way because other people will sense that. Ugh. 110%. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't there yet. I think, you know, particularly when you're new in business um, and, and as a woman and, and maybe you don't have tenure or 20 years experience or whatever it is, but by utilizing clothes, as you said, that can be a very empowering piece because if you feel like yourself when you walk into a room, that's gonna be the most important thing when you lack experience. So when you're young and you're in your 20s and you're you know, going out for a new job or you want to impress somebody or you're even on a date, you have to fucking wear what makes you feel good. Like don't even think about, I mean, think about it a little bit, who you're meeting with necessarily. Um, you know, for example, if I'm, I'm meeting a husband and wife on the west side in the Palisades that own a $15 million house and they have three kids under the age of, of five, I'm not showing up with like a cutout top, you know, and Givenchy hiking boots, right? Like I'm going to dress like a little bit more business primarily because I want, I always want to connect with the female. That's just the nature of who I am. Um, and so while it's important to obviously get across to both the male and the female in the room that, I, that are going to hire me, my connection is always going to be with the woman. I think that's where it begins and ends. You screw up with the female and you're fucked. Happy wife, happy life, right? So I'm very aware of that. You make a woman feel um, less than or not important in like the sale of their home, for example, specific to my business, you're done for. Um, it's very self-aware of you. I, 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 I recognize that. Um, so I'll make sure to dress a certain way when I'm going into a meeting like that. However, now I'm in a place, like particularly with the show, where I wear whatever the hell I want and I wear what makes me feel empowered and strong mm -hmm. so that when I walk into a meeting, 
Um, I feel sexy, I feel smart, I feel pulled together and I feel confident. If I have to fidget in something for even a minute, I'm taking it off, particularly if it's an important meeting. I don't care how good it might look in a photograph. If I'm not comfortable in it and I can't stand there and be still and feel good, then I'm not gonna wear it. I love that you said that because <clears throat> I used to, so I've had like this relationship with clothes. So like the dress down so no one notices you because I didn't want to get picked on. Then it was how the hell do I walk into a boardroom when there's 10 men with 10 years of business experience and I've been a housewife for eight years. Like that thing is like, how do I dress? Ugh, the and worst. So, but it's always, it was always trying to influence them. It was never like, well, what do, how do you want to feel? And that's why I say like, over these last, um, let's say, five years, it really is something that I'm like, oh, this is a tool I've been so underutilizing and I haven't really paid much attention to mm. it. And now what if I do? And I started to equate it with, you know, kids when they put on a, a cape. It's like, give a kid a cape, what do they do? They jump off the sofa, they've got their fist in the air and they totally. act like they're a superhero. Totally. But that's why I wear this Wonder Woman necklace. This is my own little reminder. And so mm. I started to do that more and more with like my jewelry. I actually like the weight. I, I wear big freaking jewelry because to me it's like, um, I love Wonder Woman, so it's like my cuffs, right? Like, right. So it's like I'm suiting up for the day. And it became so freaking powerful. And what you just pinpointed was a lesson that I, it just took me too long to um, get to, which I'm glad that you said it, is I want to feel a certain way. And the message out there that I'm even just seeing now a lot is, influence them how do how do you want them to feel and I'm so with you and I've been told multiple times that I dress sometimes on the show inappropriately and I'm like no, no I get it all the time I get it all the time and I recognize still one of my battles today is how people experience me mm. on the show um, and some of the negative feedback I sometimes get when I'm you know I wore this rat and boa suit on the show last night with a hat and I had this sort of sweatered bralette underneath it, but high-waisted pants. I mean, I'm covered literally, long sleeves to here, long pants, a hat, but you see some of my stomach. You'd think that I, you know, went topless to the White House. You know, like, <laughs> I sell real estate for crying out loud, and a, and a woman said on my Instagram, and I think we, I touched on it before we got on camera, because it affected me, um, you know, if you want to be treated equally in business, you should dress more appropriately. Like, are, are you kidding me? Like for a, a man to say that, maybe. For a woman to say it, it's like, are, where have you been? Are you a part of the uh, equality for wages war? Or like, where are you? Like what universe are you living in where you think that I can't sell real estate if I'm wearing or showing my abdomen. Like, fuck you. Mm. It's interesting that you say that because I, it is women. And that's like what this show's trying to, like what I really want to do this show is like trying to just see each other as humans and not like this attack like against each other. And as you were talking, part of me kind of like goes to, because sometimes I get really upset, right? Like over things like that. It's like, come on, like us women, we're supposed to be lifting each other Absolutely. up. Absolutely. Like, why not go on and say, yeah, hell yeah, girl, you do you. Like, even if I don't agree, like right. you do you. Isn't that what we should be encouraging women to do? A hundred percent. And, and it was, it's a shame because I actually, there's so many women that I said, you know, early on sort of inspired me to be more, um, accepting of my body and more like there's nothing wrong with 
showing your feminine figure and being feminine. Yeah. So if I don't want to wear a blouse underneath my blazer and slacks, then I'm not going to do it. Mm. And, you know, it's a shame that other women can't see that. I, it, it bothers me. It's like a message point for me that I want to talk about because I think we're part of the reason we're held back. Mm. I, I think as women, we need to be more supportive of each other and celebrate each other's bodies and celebrate each other's successes. And, you know, how you choose to dress might be different from how I choose to dress, but damn, you look good. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't... Judgment is judgment, no matter how you shake it or bake it. And at the end of the day, it's like, can we not just remove that? Like, at the end of the day, so, like, I just think to myself, you're not hurting anyone, right? Like, there's that line where if you're actually hurting someone, you're not right and the only way that I can process things like that is try to be in their shoes and say I've probably triggered them like they probably have and I don't want to assume right but I go in this is how my like how I don't take that person in, how I keep showing up because here's what I don't ever want like I want you to keep freaking showing your abs girl right and some people may never do it again because they've got this hate and I love that it doesn't hold you back. You're such a freaking no, I, strong woman. <laughs> I, 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 I immediately responded. And I don't respond to, you know, a lot of negative stuff. I, I let it roll off my back. But in this case, and I think because it is important to me, and it's something that I think we should talk about more as women, is sort of supporting each other's femininity and sexuality. There is nothing wrong with being sexy and smart at the same time. Why can't we be sexy? Why do we have to be masculine? Why can't we be feminine and successful? That's what drives me absolutely bananas. And I looked sexy as hell in that scene, and I know I did. And I think whether or not that affected her on some level internally is on her. Mm -hmm. But it's, a, it's something that I think we need to be talking about because we, as women, you know, should be supporting each other. Go, I love that. Let's just keep going then because I so agree because I've been in so many business meetings where guys use their size, right, as an intimidation tool. Sure. They use their, um, their position, their title. And this is, I am not slating men. Like, my no. business partner is my husband. Yeah. So it can be beautiful. But I've been in situations where men use things to their advantage. They use their stature. They use other things. As they and should. So, as they should. Thank you. And that's what I was going to say about women. So why on earth? Can we not use the things that are to our, our disposal? Like, as a woman, sexuality, being sexy, I'm not saying, like, like you said, like, don't go freaking go in there with your top off, for Jesus right. Christ. But to be able to use it as a tool, I think everything becomes a tool to show up how you want to show up. And why on earth can you not use your sexuality as a tool to show up the way you want to show up? A hundred percent. I think that that's something that unfortunately is still a part of like, mm -hmm. we haven't, we're not there yet, mm -hmm. right? Like in society, um, people don't equate a woman with boobs as also being smart. If you have cleavage in a dress, then you must be a slut, right? So there's still that, that, ex that still exists. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the part that by being on a television show and having well, obviously a big voice and <laughs> naturally um, but I think that's that's a part of what I think I bring to the show that's important is I am the more you say it the more it is still a part of the conversation mm. the more I am going to disrupt that 
by dressing exactly like that, by being the opposite of a slut, by dressing, um, and by the way, I, I celebrate sluts too, <laughs> but, but by being sexy and by being empowered in that place and also killing it and closing the deal at the same time. I think we need to see more of that. I think there's been too much and even in media and on Instagram, you know, the OnlyFans thing and a lot of these women taking their clothes off to get pets, go for, good for them. You know what? You want to do what you want to do and you want to make a million dollars a month, you know, taking pictures on Instagram um, in your bikini. I I'm, have at it, sister. I support you 100%. I'm going to go about it this way, and but I celebrate you because you're out there doing what you want to do. And if you are comfortable with it, and as long as you feel good and can put your head on the pillow at night, then I'm happy for you. Amen, girl. Yeah. That is a freaking mic drop. Yeah. I just think it's crucial. I think women today, um, they need to be both. You need to understand that you can be sexy, smart, and a boss, and a mom, and a girlfriend, and a friend, all at the same time. It's not one or the other. Boom. Yeah. Tracy, where can people find you and everything you're doing? Um, well, I am on Instagram despite my, <laughs> my attacks today. Um, at Tracy Tudor on Instagram and also, you know, obviously for real estate, uh, tracytudor.com. Um, but I'm on social media and I really do try to get back to fans and people asking me questions and, and helping and mentoring however I can. So, um, and obviously tune into the show. Hell yeah. Guys, guys, you've got to go check out this woman. She is amazing. She's such a freaking badass. So check her out. Check out her show. Her book is freaking amazing. There's so many tactical tips. So check that out too. And guys, if you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billiou. And if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. If you're fed up of people constantly pushing you around, ignoring your boundaries and just disrespecting you left, right and centre, then it's time to finally stop letting people walk all over you and start actually standing up for yourself, my homie. Because trust me, I've been there staying silent and living a life I never actually wanted for myself, but lacked the confidence to do anything about it. But I was able to go from someone who settled and lacked all the confidence in herself to someone who comfortably commands respect and guys and my homie even with the fears the doubts and uncertainty you can finally go after what you freaking want in life set boundaries speak up show up fight imposter syndrome and stop people pleasing and i break down how to actually do this step by step in my book radical confidence and when you pre-order your copy of radical confidence right now today guys you can get a free gift valued at 171 dollars which includes my ultimate guide to radical confidence which is a workbook that you actually can work through as you're reading my book three months ad-free listening to women of impact on podcast and one hour exclusive relationship coaching sessions with me and my hubby of 21 years tom so my 
Mahalmi, if you go and pre-order this book right now, you get all of those things for utterly free, which has been valued at $171. So go over to RadicalConfidence.com to pre-order your copy right now. That's RadicalConfidence.com. See you there, Mahalmi. Let's freaking go.